0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the new Tradewinds Wavelength podcast. This is your regular podcast to help you keep up to date with your finger on the pulse of the shipping and maritime industries. My name is Craig Eason, longtime shipping journalist, podcaster and broadcast journalist and former seafarer. I'm your host, but we'll be drawing in on the expertise of all our editorial team at Tradewinds to put insight into the maritime news. In this first episode we'll look at some of the latest developments in the Red Sea where despite the US beginning to re-establish sanctions against the Houthis, fears of the conflict having an impact further afield are growing.
1: I'm hoping that this is not the new normal um, as far as state-backed attacks on, on, on commercial ships, um, but we're really going to have, this is something that we're going to watch closely. And we'll look
0: at the gas markets. With listed businesses in the energy and shipping sector offering their annual results, we can just see how some of these firms involved in liquid natural gas transportation are feeling so bullish.
2: So a more stable price environment we think is extremely helpful to um, end user demand, which uh, should be very good for industry.
3: This week's episode is brought to you with the support of Lloyds Register. For more information, visit their website, lr.org.
0: We'll start by turning our attention to the Red Sea. The Houthis are not easing up on their attacks, and their supporters seem to be able to continue to supply them with what they need. The U.S. Treasury sanctions regime has been making our news feeds with increased sanctions against Russia because of its invasion of the Ukraine, seeking to sanction Russian oil coming from the country, which is funding its aggression. But now the U.S. has also re-sanctioned the Houthis. Here's a report from Tradewind's U.S. Bureau Chief, Eric Prianti Martin. A U.S.
4: Navy fighter jet takes off from an aircraft carrier the USS Dwight D Eisenhower for another round of strikes on the Iranian-backed Houthis. After the Houthis carried out a series of attacks on commercial vessels and Navy ships, this is not the only way that the U.S. is taking action against the group, in addition to others that Washington sees as proxies of Tehran. Here's Janet Yellen, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, speaking on a visit to Brazil.
5: We've led efforts to counter the financing of Hamas, acted decisively in response to the Houthi attacks in the Red Sea, launching Operation Poseidon Archer and coordinating with our allies to sanction leaders and supporters of multiple terrorist actors, including Hamas, the Houthis and other Iranian proxies.
4: After putting the Houthis back on a list of terrorist organizations, The Treasury Department has issued its first sanctions against a shipping company for supporting the group, which is formally known as Answer Allah. As we reported in Tradewinds, Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control has blacklisted a crude tanker called the Artura and its owner, Captease Shipping, of Hong Kong. But the action also fits into a wider ramping up of sanctions against Iran. Also blacklisted was a deputy commander of the Qods Force of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, and the Treasury Department alleged that the Artura was used to transport Iranian commodities for the network of Houthi financial facilitator Saeed al-Jamal, who is based in Tehran and already subject to sanctions. And at the same day that it took action against the Artura, Washington sanctioned a tanker called the Kohana for moving a $100 million cargo of Iranian oil to China.
0: That was Eric Priyanti-Martin on the U.S. sanctions against Iran and the Houthis. With the attacks on the Red Sea continuing, there are other fears than the physical attacks on vessels. With ships detouring, there's been a negative impact on ports in the region, as less vessels and therefore less cargoes can flow in and out. It's significant enough for the shipping organisation BIMCO to publish some figures recently Here's Niels Rasmussen, BIMCO's chief
6: shipping analyst. Everybody seems to be focusing on how much how many ships are no longer passing through the Suez Canal uh, and and to the rest of the world, but there is also a very much a local impact from that all these attacks by the Houthis on, on ships in the Red Sea is creating. So what we've seen is that if, if we add up all the data that the IMF has released for the countries in and around the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea, then year-to-date volumes in and out of those ports uh, is down by 21% uh, compared to uh, last year at the same time. So, year-to-date 24 versus year-to-date uh, 2023. And, it, of course, it varies very much by port and by country. Uh, so, for example, Djibouti and I, is not seeing any impact so far. But if we then turn to something like Aqaba in Jordan being the only uh, ports in uh, in Jordan, volumes are down by forty five percent, and then the numbers kind of range in between no impact to kind of forty five percent down for for the major ports. There are some fairly uh, what you say fragile uh, countries in this region. Uh, some are already uh, struggling with uh, armed conflict uh, within the country. And, and some are, for example, very dependent on international aid. Well, if you have much fewer ships coming into the ports, then international aid will be much harder to get into these countries uh, going forward. You could also fear that uh, as a result of this, uh, food prices will increase quite significantly, uh, which could lead to further unrest as uh, as people will find it harder to um, to feed themselves and 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 their children if if it has this impact on food prices and and availability of international aid, so that's a concern, of course.
0: That was Niels Rasmussen from BIMCO. It does seem that the shipping industry has become a central point in conflicts. A key point here is that these attacks are state-backed attacks. It has led to some analysts considering whether. This is becoming
1: a new normal. I'm hoping that this is not the new normal um, as far as state tax attacks on, on on commercial ships, um, but we're really going to have, this is something that we're going to watch closely.
0: This is Dryad Global's Chief Executive Corey Ranslam talking about the increase in state backed attacks in shipping
1: we've really never seen that until we saw the start of the ukraine russia conflict that was where we first started to see really uh an intense state-backed threat and attacks against commercial shipping um and now that's played out obviously within this region because the houthis do have some capabilities but without state backing, they wouldn't be able to carry out the the continuous number of strikes that they have uh, within this region. And that's really difficult. When you look at state-backed attacks on a vessel, vessels have certain capabilities, but you can't arm every vessel with anti-missile, anti-drone type technology. So it really looks at, from a shipping perspective, Um, if, if I'm, if, if I say put myself in the seat of the CEO of a global shipping company, I'm really going to look at where my ships are and how we move cargo and where we do it. Like some of the regions of the world, if you can successfully do that, well, there may be a better, a bigger financial gain To be able to say, well, we can make it through the Red Sea. We can do this and deliver the cargo. There may be more of a financial gain. However, that's offset by the war risk insurance. So the gain may not be that big and the risk may be much higher. I think shipping of the future is really going to take into account more on the risk management side um, and be speaking with companies like ours to really understand the geopolitics in a certain region because there's nothing to say that that a state-backed actor couldn't uh, conduct attacks on commercial shipping in other parts of the world.
0: That was Dryad Global's chief executive, Corey Ranslam. Now, can the Red Sea attacks have an impact on other parts of the world? The answer seems to be yes. With the International Maritime Organisation Secretary General Arsenio Dominguez raising concerns about the Red Sea situation fueling a re-emergence of piracy on both the west and east coasts of Africa, joining me in our virtual wavelength studio is TradeWind Security Correspondent Paul Peachy.
7: The Hootie attacks are just one prong of the security threats that are facing shipping at this moment in time, as well as these missile attacks on shipping in the Red Sea. We've also seen the first piracy attack, the first successful piracy attack for six years off the coast of Somalia. Now, the alert has been raised by Arsenio Dominguez, who said that he's contacted authorities in both East and West Africa warning about the increased amount of traffic that is now going around the coast of Africa because of the diversions in place, because of the Houthi threat. His thinking is, look, there might be an increased threat from piracy piracy here now. There are more rich pickings going around the coastline. And the threat from piracy has never really gone away. It's just been more adequately suppressed by, by, by navies over the last few years. Now the issue is that, of course, some people feel that the, you know, the, the threat from pirates has, although it's not gone away, perhaps they're less focused on it because of the greater security threat faced by the by the hooty rebels, and in fact, it, India is as is now currently lobbying the IMO, saying, look, we need to go back to some of the rules that we had back in 2008, when navies were allowed to go into the coastal waters of of uh, somalia to 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 repress piracy that agreement lapsed in march 2022 and india which has been you know been involved in some of the some of the uh, acts of piracy and sort of chasing some of the the suspected pirates over the last few months is now saying look we need to get those back in place again so that we can tackle this threat once and for all
0: now we can't be on your wavelength or on the wavelength of shipping without taking a big picture view occasionally so we've invited Tradewinds editor-in-chief Julian Bray to offer his thoughts on the mega trends for those of you who are used to reading Tradewinds think of this as our regular comments section of the podcast over to Julian
8: hi Craig pleasure to be with you today I think arguably there are signs there's a real upswing in momentum and commitment at the moment what do I mean by that well we're all aware of the money that's been made in most of the sectors over the last few years, the way debts have been paid down and dividends are being paid out by certainly the public companies. But there's been a relative restraint in terms of new spending. People have been sitting on their hands. The high prices of new buildings, the long lead times for new buildings, the high prices of secondhand ships has meant people aren't committed. And then, of course, there are the concerns and the uncertainties about the future fuel piece. But We're now seeing in the last couple of months an increasing number of the big players making big commitments. For instance, this year already 15 VLCCs have been ordered when, if you remember, only one VLCC will be delivered this year, which is something of an all-time record. We've got the bulk market at more than decade highs, even containers which are facing this tidal wave of new deliveries. The consequences of the Red Sea disruption mean that there are uh, the rates, charter rates and freight rates have gone up sharply. And I think what we're seeing at the moment is some of, as I said, some of the big names making uh, moves into these markets. And you know, when the big names are moving, the smaller names start sniffing around and getting excited. And when they have money in the bank, when their financiers are pushing money at them, okay, okay. Interest rates are relatively high, but they will be coming down. I think this, uh, after just two months, 2024 is looking like it may be another very interesting year.
0: Julian Bray there, Tradewinds Editor-in-Chief. The last week and a bit has been full of stock-listed companies announcing their financial results. It's been an interesting time for the markets and as Julian mentioned, owners may have been sitting on their hands waiting for the time to spend some of that cash. One sector that's got our attention is the LNG or natural gas market. Companies with gas carriers or floating storage units have become extremely bullish with these changing markets and the fact that gas prices have come down. Here's some of the sector's chief executives talking during the results webinars. First, his New Fortress CEO Wes Edens answering a question from analysts about
6: its future supply. I think that uh, there's more likely to be an abundance of supply than, than, uh, than not. And I think, frankly, the, the most scarce resource by far in the LNG ecosystem that, uh, around the world will be downstream terminals like ourselves. And there really, to my knowledge, there's nobody that has the same collection of downstream terminals that has so much in the excess capacity already up and operational that can service all our customers and therefore create a short for all these other long, uh, long providers to come into. So I think we couldn't be better positioned, honestly, and as a company uh, based on where we are, given the, the kind of macro landscape as well. And here's Gola LNG CEO
0: Carl Frederik Staubel.
2: Basically, when you saw the spike in LNG prices that you had following uh, the Russia-Ukraine situation, in particular the the Nord Stream uh, pipeline uh, accident or incident, um, you saw gas prices go to a level where uh, there was a very strong incentive for end users to substitute away from uh, LNG and natural gas. We think it's in the industry's interest that you see long-term plentiful supply of L&D and further increasing supply sources. And now Kulko
0: chief executive Richard Tyrell, during his presentation to analysts.
2: see the new
3: lease of life as a result of the high rates seen after the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. However, this is not a trend that we see continuing, given the high cost of keeping these vessels on the water in the face of lower rates. Is it worth spending up to $10 million on a dry dock for an off-contract vessel when spot rates for steam turbines are as low as $25,000 per day? We don't see how anyone can make that work. These vessels are typically smaller than new bills, but even if they're not replaced on quite a one-for-one basis, their retirements still amount to a significant addition, additional demand for more modern tonnage.
0: So we can hear how the markets see gas in the near and even more long-term future, but Should these gas market players be so bullish? To help me with this is Tradewinds LNG and gas markets expert, Lucy Hine. Lucy, should they? Should these companies be so bullish?
5: I think they are right to be bullish in the long term. Qatar was the big news last weekend, raising its um, production to 142 million tonnes per annum with a 16 million tonne expansion. That comes as the US paused on permitting new projects because it's it's thinking again on on the decarbonisation and, and what that might mean for LNG. But you can see there with companies looking at floating liquefaction like Gola, they are bullish on the sector and and they believe they can they can produce LNG quicker and cheaper than some of the, the land-based projects. So long-term, yes, the peop- companies are looking at Producing LNG um, into 2040 and some in the decades beyond that. I think if you listen to US companies like Chenier Energy, quite how that'll play out, I don't know, because you've got other forecasts which have talked about LNG being in decline from 2030s. On LNG shipping, um, I think you've got a, a current market which is quite dull. It's, uh, it's quite quiet, which is not unusual for this time of year. But longer term, people are bullish. They're looking at that huge amount of supply coming online, 100 million tonnes already under construction, another 100 million tonnes. So, a 50% increase by the end of this, uh, by 2030. Uh, GTT, the, who builds the cargo containment systems for energy carrier, said they'll need another 95 vessels just to cover the contracted supply. And um, they've upped their demand forecast for the next ten years to over 450 vessels needed. But I think one of the interesting stories is the downstream side, which particularly FSRUs, the floating storage units, that can be used to bring in LNG. And you've got fascinating comment there from Wes Eden's at New Fortress yesterday. The most scarce resource in the LNG ecosystem will be downstream terminals. And you've you can see there companies like Accelerate energy which is a, a regas company they're talking about growth and really really saying that that's their primary thing focus at the moment is growth and you've got and, uh, other companies like new outfit their nebula buying uh ag and p lng and talking about a massive expansion there on downstream regasification. Just one last point, Shell said, 100 million tonnes of new regasification coming online. Just this year, 10 new terminals in China and uh, more will be needed. And now I'm
0: gonna hand you over to Tradewinds news editor, Yannick Gwory, for some of the other
3: headlines that have made Tradewinds this last week. Thanks, Craig. It's been a week of big orders as well as big earnings. We started the week with news that Marinakis Capital Group was being linked to a billion dollar new building order for four LNG carriers in South Korea, and commodities giant Trafigura is getting into owning VLCCs for the first time, announcing an order for two 319,000 DWT crude carriers in China. DHT also got into a new building action this week, putting pen to paper on orders for four super-eco VLCCs in South Korea. Onto sanctions now, and the shadow fleet of tankers hauling crude has hit 700 ships according to BRS. Russian oil is now almost exclusively lifted by this fleet since the rising price of oil propelled the cost of barrels beyond the oil price caps imposed by the G7. Frontline was among the highlights of a busy week of earnings reporting. It turned out that the tanker giant is to repay loans from its major shareholder John Fredrickson from cash generated by recent vessel sales to the tune of $900 million. International Seaways confirmed it was buying six MR tankers in its fourth quarter report. The deal price was $232 million, with 15% paid in shares. Florissant Thai agencies is best known amongst the local population for its 185 Pizza Hut and 25 Taco Bell fast food outlets but its 2023 full-year results show that it was bulk carriers and offshore support vessels that delivered the goods to the Bangkok-listed company's shareholders. Thanks, Bill.
0: Thank you, Yannick. Well, that's the end of this first episode of the Tradewinds Wavelength podcast. You will be able to find these episodes on tradewindsnews.com with links to the stories and a full transcript you'll also be able to find these episodes on various podcast platforms so find your feed and make sure you press follow so you get a regular shipping update straight into your ears until the next time goodbye